Come on, can we make some noise that death is never gonna hold us because Jesus, you're the only one holding on to us. Jesus, we commit to you these next moments that we're gonna share together and I, I just pray, God, I am expectant. God, my heart is full that you're gonna do some amazing things in some homes around the world. God, as we look to some of the difficult questions that we have inside of our hearts and in our minds and the difficult questions of the world, God, we believe that so many of just the, the, the foundational truths of life for humans can, go, can be found all the way back from, from Genesis. God, as you're unraveling and, and rolling out your plan for creation and the world and the way that it should function, God, I pray that as we look back there, God, that individually with, with thousands of stories, different lives, different backgrounds, different cities and countries, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. And as we look to your word, would you speak to the thousands upon thousands of stories that are going to listen? We pray all of these things in the precious, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody here and around the world said, amen. amen. Hey, you guys can be seated, all those of you that are joining us here. Um, we're really excited. We're kicking off a brand new series. We started it last week and Doug did an amazing job rolling out what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of God. I hope that it benefited your life. I hope that it blessed you. If you didn't hear it, go back and watch it because it has some really dynamic repercussions for how we live, how we create, and what we expect God to do in and through our lives. So Go back there this weekend. We're going to kind of springboard off of what Doug talked about, because how many of you know it's, it's great on one level to hear about the great plans of God for your life, but how many of you know sometimes, maybe it's just me, the plans don't go the way that they seem sometimes, like the way that I want them to go. Sometimes they get unraveled a bit. Sometimes things backfire or don't work the way that they should, and I want to take a look at a question this weekend that I believe we can find the answers all the way back from the echoes of what God spoke into existence back in Eden. And I want to ask a question this weekend. If you're taking notes, write this down. And the question is this, is God's way really better? Is God's way really better? And if you're a church person, we got a lot of church persons here, socially distanced church persons here. Um, but at the question um, that needs to be answered at the, at the base level of our souls is the question, is God's way really better? When we come into contact or, or come into the opportunity to fall into sin, ultimately what our souls are asking is the question, is God really better than what I'm enticed with right now? And I want to take a look at something because I think some of these terminology like the word sin and things like that can get lost in translation. Church people, somebody say church people. Church people, sometimes we can use words flippantly and what happens as a byproduct is we can lose the translation or lose the real significance and meaning behind the word. And so if I may... I want to talk about the definition of the word sin. When we read it in its original context in the Greek and the Hebrew, what the scriptures were written in, both Old and New Testament, the word sin that we use so frequently, a common definition is to miss the mark, to miss the mark. But a second definition that I want to pull into the equation is to have no share 
in something. Have no share in something. Now, for most of us, we're familiar with sin as an offense, which it is. Sin as a a wrong deed or an action or a thought, which it is. But at the base level, sin means to miss the mark or to have no share in something. And so I think a good question for us to ask is to miss what mark? What mark are we missing when we sin? Another great question is to have no share in what? When I sin, what am I not participating in? What am I not partaking in? What do I have no share in? And I think what I want to do this weekend is kind of roll back the tape a little bit because I think at the very baseline of the dilemma in your heart and in my heart, we struggle with sin. Am I the only one? I struggle with sin. You struggle with sin. The Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And so sin is a problem that we should probably get to the root of. And I want to answer it by going to the very beginning, all the way in the back of your Bible, in the front of your Bible, in Genesis. And we're going to read a story from Genesis chapter 3. But first, I want to kind of give some context. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is this unveiling of God's creation. God is speaking and breathing creation into existence. You would have heard this last week if you heard Doug's message. And God gets to the place where where he is looking down and he says, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. And so he created man and eventually created woman in the image and in the likeness of God. What's amazing is when he created them, he created them perfectly. They were beautiful. The Bible says that we were very good. Humans were very good. You see, the the, the place, the Garden of Eden, kind of ground zero for creation, was a place that was a perfect utopia. Everything functioning as it should. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, D? Everything working as it was intended to. When Adam would plant seeds in the ground, they wouldn't die. And not only would they not die, but they they would reap a surplus. Like everything uh, functioned the way that, that man intended it to. It was perfect. There was no sin, no shame, no burden, no weight, no sadness, no anxiety. Come on, somebody. Um, there's no pressure. There's no depression. There was no addiction. Like it was perfect. Everything functioning as it should. I love the way that Sandra Richter wrote in, in the, she has an amazing book called The Epic of Eden. I'd encourage you to read it. And what she says, God's perfect plan was this. God's perfect plan was to have the people of God in the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. Sounds pretty good. I'm going to say it again. It was to have the people of God in the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. Does that sound good to anybody other than me? It's, like, that's, that's a good, good reality. And so here they are. They're living in this reality where everything is as it should be. They're the people of God. They know they belong to him and they're his and there's nothing separating them relationally. They're in the place of God. It is perfect, functioning as it should. And maybe best of all, they are enjoying and dwelling in the presence of God. Everything good. And if you notice the common denominator, the people of God, the place of God, the dwelling in the presence 
of God. God was the common denominator. And then God decides, I'm going to roll out one stipulation, one guideline, one rule, because how many of you know you can't have trust and you can't have love unless there's decision, unless there's choice. And so God rolls out this unbelievable world and this reality, and he says, okay, guys, this is amazing. I want you to enjoy it, enjoy me. But we got one thing we need to clear up. There's a tree in the middle of the garden. I don't want you to eat of its fruit. We clear? You got every other fruit tree imaginable, reaping fruit in and out of season. Like you got you had more than enough. Or we just don't eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden. Sounds pretty simple, but I want us to read the account of something that theologians call the fall. This was the instance, the first account of sin entering into the equation. And so it's important to see the very first instance where sin entered into the equation to figure out maybe the root for sin in your life and in my life and its detriment. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. And we got some people in the room, so say there when you're there. There. So fast. Genesis 3, verse 1. Here's the story. Sounds like sci-fi, but it's so full of truth. It says that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, meaning Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Notice how the enemy will always try to get you based upon something that God never said to begin with. Verse 2 says, of course we may eat of the fruit of the, tree in the, uh, of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Verse 3 says, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. How many of you know it's not hard for us to know the, the things that we shouldn't do, those behaviors we shouldn't do? We, we know them. It's the one in the middle. It's the one in the middle of the garden. He says, we're not allowed to eat it, God said. He said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Jesus, God, it's a little bit dramatic. If I eat it, I'm going to die. Verse 4 says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Verse 5 says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And guess what? You will be like God. Watch this, knowing both good and evil. If you have your Bible circled that, he says, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and that his fruit looked delicious. How many of you know sin is enticing? It looks good. You do it because you like it. Let that set in. You do it because you like it. The fruit looked delicious and, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. Now, let's unpack this for a second, because at first glance, when you're reading this, have you ever had bad food poisoning? Ever ate a chimichanga you shouldn't? Got sushi in the middle of like the desert off the highway? Like you, you eat it, and then you go like, what did I just 
eats. Like, it's really bad. And some of you, you might have, you might have got nauseous. You might have thrown up, Doug. Maybe got the, the D. You know, you, you feel this sickness and you wonder, what did I just eat? Well, sometimes when we read the, 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 the garden story or the account of the fall, sometimes what we think is, what was in that fruit? Because they ate that and didn't just get indigestion and nausea. Literally, they had separation of mankind for all of the world's history. Like, that's bad news, and it seems like this could just be like a really bad case of food poisoning. What was in the, in the fruit that would cause such separation? But I want to encourage you to lean a little bit deeper into the story. The problem wasn't with the fruit. The, the, the problem was with the deception. There's so many good things in life that can turn into sin because you were deceived that it would give you something that it never could do. It is an empty promise. Every promise that the enemy gives to you is an empty promise. He says, if you look at this, you'll feel satisfied. If you can just drink a little bit more of this, your problems will go away. Maybe if you just work harder, you'll have more. Maybe if you can just achieve some more, you'll feel more secure. They're empty promises, never fulfilling or satisfying in the way that they promise. So here they are. They look at the fruit. It looks good. Man, it looks good. Sin looks good sometimes. And the deception that I want to lean into reveals that the problem wasn't with the fruit, but the sin actually happened before the fruit was ever consumed. Genesis 3.13, let's rewind just a little bit. It says that the Lord God asked the woman. He's like, something's going on down here. He says, what have you done? Listen to her response. She said, the serpent deceived me. Then what happened? And that's why I ate it. Friends, here's the pattern of sin in your life and the pattern of sin in my life. There is deception that takes place, which leads to sinful behavior. At the root of every single one of your sin problems in your life, the repetitious sins that you can't seem to kick, anybody else got one, I got some, even the Apostle Paul says, I seem to do the things that I hate and I can't do the things that I want to do. Who's going to save me and deliver me from this body of sin? You're not alone. You got sin. You got problems. Lean to your neighbor and say, you got problems. You got problems. At the root of every single one of the sins that you struggle with, Red Rocks Church is a deception, and it is important for us to ask, why do I like this? You see, if we're not wise enough, if we don't know how to navigate through life and hang on to the scriptures enough, what happens is we're easily deceived. The book of James says that we're like wind-whipped waves getting tossed around by everything that is not true. She was deceived first, and that's why she ate it. If we go to Genesis 3, verse 5, we've already read this. It says that God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And here was the deception. You will be like God. Knowing both good and evil, and the Bible says that the woman was convinced The fall wasn't a fruit issue. It was a deception issue, which led to a fruit issue. For many of you, you don't have a porn problem. You have a deception problem. 
You don't have an overconsumption problem. You have a deception problem. And the question that they had, listen to this, they believed that what the act of eating the fruit could do could provide what really only God could do in their lives. So here they are. They go, if I eat this, I'll be like him, meaning I can provide for myself. I can know by myself what's good and right and holy. I can sustain my own life. I can, I can build and create and do everything that I'm intended to do. I can do everything right now that God is doing on my behalf. I can be my own God. You might not feel like in your head you've convinced yourself that you are your own God, but I think if we look at our lives in the patterns of sin, we realize I have an anger problem because I've realized I can't control my kids. I'm not in control. I got an anxiety problem because I can't seem to control the outcomes of work and finances. A lot of the times, the issue that we think that we have is really a byproduct of us really realizing we aren't God. Friends, this was the deception from day one. And if we want to learn what it looks like to, 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 to sin and what sin really is, this is what sin is. Sin is the understanding and the deception that I can have on my own what I thought I only needed to get from God. I thought what God could provide for me, I can actually get on my own. I can be my own God and provide for my own needs. What God does, I can do. And some of us believe we can do it better. And so when I ask the question, is God's way really better? Every temptation is really your soul asking, can I really trust him? Is his way really better. So Adam and Eve, they can, are deceived by the devil. They consume the fruit. And the Bible says it results in a separation from God. I love what the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 6 says. It starts off and it says, all. Who? Who? All, we like sheep have gone astray. That word astray literally means to be deceived. Are you seeing the link? All we like sheep have gone astray. It says that we've turned, making a deliberate conscious movement. We've turned everyone, and it says, to his own way. Friends, the, the byproduct of sin has been the very same since the very beginning. We fall, we sin, we make mistakes because we've deceived ourselves that our way is better than his way. And thus now we're living in this world with the, with the byproduct of, of what they did. The Bible says that now we live in a fallen world, a sinful world that can't seem to get its grip on anything. And you can see that right now. Just turn on the news. You can see that we're ripping ourselves apart. Human beings, one to another, are ripping themselves apart. This is a deception problem manifesting in a sin problem. Adam and Eve had a deception problem just maintaining and manifesting itself in a fruit problem. They decided that I'm going to go and live my own life, create my own future, sustain who I am, do what I want to do, all in my own power. 
This is a cheesy illustration, but I was sitting there today just pondering what this would really be like. And I was sitting there and I was like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a fish swimming through the ocean. And one day he just gets tired of it and he goes, you know what, I've had it. I'm out of here. I'm going to go create my own ocean that I can live in and dwell in and be in and reside in. The, the natural byproduct of doing that, we know that fish is going to be a dead fish. No fish is going to go create his own life, build his own utopia. This makes logical sense for us. We go, that makes perfect sense. And yet when, when we, we begin to think that the Bible says that the byproduct of sin, that the wages of our sin is death, we go, I don't get it. I don't necessarily get it. But, but what sin is, is a deception that I'm going to do life my own way with my own rhythm, in my own strength, in my own power. I can be my own God. And we all go, yes. Our social media is like, you can be more, achieve it, take the next mountain, go do it, work harder. I'm on that grind. It's human beings living in a fallen world that says from day one that you're born into existence, go and conquer, go and achieve. Those are all beautiful and they sound amazing. I just want to ask, how is it working for you without God? That's why we're full of anxiety. That's why antidepressant medication is skyrocketing through the roof. That's why during this pandemic, alcohol consumption has hit record numbers. And I feel like God's going, guys, literally from the first pages, I told you, it just wasn't supposed to work this way. You don't have a sin problem. You have a deception problem. The book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12, says this. It says, there is a way. This seems right to a man. I want to read that again. There is a way. Every single one of us has a way. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to set your course. You're going to have your way. There is a way that seems right to a man. Right to who? But in the end, the Bible says, is the way to death. You didn't even know which way I was going to go. No, no, no. If it's right in your eyes just right in your eyes, it will be a, a, a way that produces death because there is only one way that is going to produce life and life to the full. The, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it will end in destruction or it will end in death. Here is what Adam's problem was. When Adam sinned, humanity lost their identity as God's people. Now there's babies being born all around the world with no basis that they're a child of God. They don't get born into the world with this intu intuitive notion that I'm, I belong to God, I'm his. Humanity lost their, their identity as God's people. They lost their place in paradise. They lost their access naturally into his presence. They lost intimacy with God. Hear me when I say this, which was the essence of human existence to begin with. Shattered. Why? I can do what God does. Friends, we were riddled with death. We have a shattered society. And this is what one man's decision did to our world. All because of sin, a deliberate choice to miss the mark 
of participating in the life of God or to not have a share in the life of God. If you want to know what sin is, slap any title you want. It is the deliberate decision to not share in life as God intended for you. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture because it can kind of leave us hopeless, feeling like, is there ever a way out of the sin that I'm in? Is there any hope around the next corner? Romans 5.18, if you want to flip there, one of the amazing things is that the Bible doesn't leave us hanging on, on Adam's story. We're not just altogether all, all connected to the birthright of Adam. We're not connected to his mistake forever. But the Bible actually calls Jesus Christ the last or the final or the second Adam, Meaning that what Jesus came to do was make right what Adam and Eve could not do in the first place. He came to make that right. And I want to explain what he did. Romans 5.18 says this. Yes, Adam's one sin. Which sin? One sin. What was the sin? I can do what God can do. Adam's one sin brings condemnation, a.k.a. life separated from God, a weightiness, a heaviness for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God, and there's more, a new life for everyone. For who? For everyone. I'm going to read that again. It says that Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, but... Christ's one act of righteousness brings the right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Verse 19 says, but one per, by one person's disobedience, many became sinners. But friends, here's the good news. But because of one person obeyed God, many were made righteous. Friends, Jesus didn't just leave us in the crux of a really bad situation. He didn't just say you're reaping the reward that, that, that you're earning. He didn't just say sin's byproduct is death. The heart of the Father broke for humanity in what he did was not just try to, to change the human race, but he tried to change the sin problem. You see, every single one of us, we would profess to be Christ followers, we'd profess to be Christians, yet at the same time we go, I also have a sin problem. I also do what I don't want to do. There's a big discrepancy here. Every single one of us is sinful. And Jesus said, oh man, I, I tried I tried to give them the law and they proved that they couldn't do it. That they've, they've tried to create their own life and blaze their own trail, produce their own life and their own hope and their own sustenance. And I'm watching as generation after generation after generation die. Friends, can I tell you that that breaks the heart of God? God's watching his children, the ones he made to have relationship and intimacy with, that he watches their lives be shattered and ripped apart. So many of us go, this seems unjust for God to discipline us in this way. Why would God do this? Why would God punish us? Why would God allow these bad things to happen? Can I answer the question? It's because we're living in Adam's world in need of a savior. You know, growing up, I was one of eight kids, and our house is just so chaotic, and God bless my parents, send them money or a nice card or something. 
And I can remember from a young age, I was always getting into trouble, always making wrong decisions. And I can remember my parents trying to teach me, don't touch the outlets. Don't put your finger in the outlets, Doug. Don't put your screwdriver in the outlets. Don't, like, don't, don't touch the outlets. And I can remember hearing that over and over and over and over and over again. And I knew that the reason why my parents told me that was because of their love and their care for me. But one night, it was in the middle of the night, I had a metal pen. And my bed was laying beside an outlet just right there. And I was just kind of laying in bed and I was kind of just touching the outlet and finally saw my, my pen. And I just started kind of just kind of sticking it to the corner of the, the outlet. And next thing I know, it's pitch black in my room, and the biggest spark shoots off, shocks my hand. I start screaming and crying in the middle of the night. But notice that what happens next is going to tell you a lot about what belief does in the middle of this equation. I woke up, and there was never for a moment where I go, darn it, Dad, why did you discipline me like that? Dad, why did you punish me by shocking me? I never said that because my dad had told me time and time again, son, don't put your finger in the outlet because it's going to shock you and it can hurt you. And maybe even worse, it will kill you. You know what I did that night after I shocked my hand? I ran back to my dad. Friends, the heart of God for us in the middle of our sin, because of what Jesus Christ did, he says, guys, listen, I know that you got a sin problem, and I know that your sin keeps you from relationship with me, keeps you from knowing me, keeps you from having a full heart. It keeps you from, from walking in your calling. It makes you feel so heavy and so shameful. And so, so he says, guys, don't, don't, don't touch the outlet. But then what Jesus did above and beyond that is he took away the sin problem that would keep us from enjoying him and knowing him and experiencing salvation and eternal life. Jesus turned off the electricity, friends. So much so that when you sin, his hope is that you would punish the enemy. Punish him for deceiving you, for enticing you by running back to the Father. That's why shame is so detrimental. When you sin, he's going, no, run back to me. I want to be with you. I love you. I want to know you. I want you to experience me. And don't for a minute let sin have its way in separating you, not letting you take a share in my relationship and knowing me and experiencing me. I love what the Bible says in Colossians 1.15. It says that he, meaning Jesus, was, was the image of the invisible God. And watch what he says, the firstborn of all of creation. The firstborn of all of creation. Now, anybody that's read their Bible knows that Jesus wasn't the firstborn. We just read it was Adam and it was Eve, right? I, I want to tell you why the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam, why they call him the final Adam. It was because what Jesus was going to do is he says, guys, listen, what Adam did separated you from, from me from eternity. For all of eternity, you are never going to be able to experience me and know me and be provided in the way in which you could any other way. But he says, you're born, the Bible calls us as sons of Adam, but Jesus says, I want to, I want to be born and I want, to, I want to live and dwell among you so that you could be associated with a new human. 
You could be associated with a new father. You could be associated with a new line. And so what the, the Bible says that what Adam could not do, Jesus did as our second Adam. If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians 5.15, and I'm going to read this as I close. The Bible says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Jump to verse 17 and it says, because he did this, the old life is gone. What old life? The life that I used to associate with the sin and the brokenness that Adam bore on our behalf. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus Christ. Notice that what God did through Jesus is he brought you back to himself to enjoy him and to know him. This was the love of God. He said, I'm tired of letting sin separate people from me. I'm tired of people dying after generation, after generation, after generation, being dust, going back to dust. I want to give them an eternal life so they can be with me forever. And I love what it says. And God has given us, who? Us, the task of reconciling people back to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. Thank you, Jesus. And he gave us a wonderful message of reconciliation. Friends, I just want to ask the question, is God's way really better? Is God's way really better? I was talking to Doug before I preached and he was like, man, you know what's really interesting is that we watch these testimony videos when we do these big baptism services, hearing people's stories about what their life was like before Christ. And most of the stories have a very familiar cadence and they all kind of start off with going, man, I tried to do life on my own and I really made a mess of things. But then I turned to Jesus and he turned everything around. And sometimes we're talking as pastors, we love to hear those stories. Those stories are so memorable. We hear people coming out of drug addiction, come out of sex trafficking, come out of rehab. They come out of prison. Like they got stories and they got past and there's something about us to go. That's amazing. But Doug was talking to me, he goes, man, you know what I would really like to see? I'd love to see a generation of people who have a different story. A generation of people that go, I really believed from day one that God's way was really better. And I, it just happened to save me from a whole life of pain and torment and, and issues. What if we could be a part of reconciling people back to God, that everything that they need is found in him. We rely upon him. We throw ourselves upon him as needy humans, broken in need of a savior. Some of you are like, man, I'm drowning right now. 
can I encourage you, if you feel like you're drowning in sin, the Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to save sinners. You know, if you think about a, 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 an oceanscape and all the people on the shore and playing in the water and the one person that's out in the deep drowning, you know the one person that's now a candidate to be saved? Lifeguards are trained to save people that are drowning. Can I tell you, Jesus is trained to save people who are stuck in sin. And my prayer for you is, is to revel in the fact that you're a sinner. That's why he came for you. He came to change your story. He came to restore you. Don't, don't push away the fact that you're a sinner. Glory in your weakness because that's where the strength of Christ is made manifest. So if you're struggling right now, you're in addiction right now, you're stuck in a pattern of sin, let it challenge your belief. Do you really believe that his way is better? Do you really believe he can set you free? Do you really believe he can satisfy every, and I mean every longing of your heart? Don't go chasing your own way. That way, friends, seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death and destruction. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna just pray for us. God, I pray for every single person right now that doesn't know you. Every single person that's never made you Lord of their life. God, I pray for those people right now. The fact that they are sinners, the fact that they are broken means that's exactly why you came. Jesus, you came to love sinners, to restore sinners, to forgive sinners and restore us back to a relationship with the Father. And so right now, under the sound of my voice, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible makes it really clear. Believe that he is God and that every good thing will come from him. And believe that Jesus Christ died so no longer is your sin issue blocking you from experiencing and enjoying the forgiveness and the love of the Father. And that way, you will be saved. God, I pray for every single person right now that is struggling in patterns of sin and addiction. They can't seem to find a way out. God, I pray, would you challenge their belief? God, would you help them to see the lie and the deception that they've believed that's held them in a pattern of sin and addiction? God, right now, I just pray, would you break chains? God, would you set people free? God, I know the truth that says that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And so, God, I believe right now there's going to be chains breaking, generational addiction changing. Some people are going to change their family narrative because you changed our family narrative. Thank you that we no longer have to know ourselves as sons of Adam, but now we are sons and daughters of God, not because of what we did, but Jesus, because of what you did on our behalf. So we love you. We praise you, Jesus, the final Adam. Thank you for taking away our sins. Red Rocks Church, let's worship him.